pumped, that beat is thumping in your ear holes, and wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. We're going to be with you for 90 plus minutes with gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that's completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, Squarespace, Squarespace, and Fireside. They made that possible, bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games in their many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who never gives up in the second half, unless you count tabletop time. Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Hello, listeners. Um, big news. My second stand-up comedy album, titled We're All Gonna Die, is out right now. What? Right now. You can get it on iTunes, via Amazon MP3, or the Google Music Store, if you know, got you covered on your iOS or Android devices. And um, it's different than my first album. It has a little different tone, but it's still very much me. When it launched a little early, late last night, uh, I was... Number one on the iTunes charts, and then as the days progress, I've been falling down. So, but that Let's moment, get you back up. Let's get you back up there. That moment, early reviews are in. People seem to dig it. It is dirty, so it is not clean like this podcast. I swear, but I'm very, very proud of it, and I hope you guys all go check it out and uh, and love it. And uh, yeah, it's out right now. We're all gonna die. Go buy it. Buy it. Support my dreams. Yeah, it's not expensive. No, it's nine bucks. Uh, self produced, yeah. self released. It's as indie as it can as, as it can be, and. It's not going to have any, there's no patch needed. Like all the planets are in there right now. You never need to leave your home planet. It's all there for you. (laughs) Awesome. Well, congratulations on the release. I'm hoping that our listeners pump you up, get you back to number one, get you on those charted on the billboard charts. That'd be rad. Yeah, thanks, dude. Check it out. I can't wait to listen to it myself because I know your new stuff is really good. So I'm excited. I'm also excited for this episode. We got lots of cool stuff to talk about, great games we've been playing, and an awesome guest to do it with. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, we're excited. We have a brand new DLC. DLC stands for Dangling on the Lip of Culture. Because from The Verge, we have culture editor and co-founder of Polygon.com, Chris Plant is here. Hey, Chris. Hey, I'm glad that you had another C name, but you you pump faked, and I appreciate yeah, that. I don't want to go for the easy, just Chris. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to go for that, and I don't want to think that we just book people based on their C names. You know, <laughs> that would be too easy. Uh, but we're excited to have you, man. Big fan of your stuff, so uh, it's going to be a fun one. Thank you. I actually have a technical question for Christian. I don't want to get like too deep into the comedy industry, but nine dollars. Why nine and not ten? Is there a power in the single digit number? I mean, that's more than the comedy business. That's just retail of a game being fifty nine ninety nine and whatever. Um, for for this release, it's default pricing on these uh, digital platforms. iTunes does nine ninety nine. I think Amazon and Google Music do nine forty nine to like stick it to Big Daddy Apple. Um, <laughs> And then from there, a lot of times you have to wait, unless you're like Beyonce, you're not allowed to come in with custom pricing until later. Wow. You you opened my eyes to a world of uh, selling things culture that I, I'm, I don't create good stuff. So I'm, I'm totally foreign to all of that. 
<laughs> I don't know if I agree with you that you don't create good stuff. Maybe you don't create goods and stuff. Oh, that's, that's a nice way of putting it. No taxes and tariffs for me. Well, we are very much looking forward to when Christian's albums are worth $10. Hey. <laughs> no, hey. I'm no, I'm excited. It's a, it's a steal at nine bucks. A steal, I tell you. Grab it. Uh, all right. Let's, uh, let's create some good content ourselves with Story of the Week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration using our hashtag on Twitter. That's DLCSOTW. Or by visiting our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Chris, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Oh, uh, I would have to go with the uh, Circle of Life program from uh, uh, GameSpot Spin uh, Hustling. It was mm-hmm. I, it was Kotaku's Jason Trier who broke this, right? That's right. Yeah, it's been picked yeah. up by a lot of places. Everybody's in- interviewing GameStop employees <laughs> and managers. Uh, I guess it's kind of scandalous. Um, basically, GameStop where you can buy and sell used games. No, our manager is not available for an interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the the idea here is, if you haven't been keeping up with this, is that uh, GameStop has basically a quota system for all the different things they sell in the store. Pre-orders, reward cards, used games, and game trade-ins. And the stores actually get money based on meeting those quotas. And so the story that uh, that was put out in Kotaku is that um, some managers at some stores have, because they're disincentivized from selling new games, have been straight up lying to customers and saying, we don't have that game when they try to buy uh, something that's not part of this quota program. So they're pushing people toward, you know, used games and trade-ins and stuff. And if the if the customer doesn't have that, they are evidently uh, telling them to leave <laughs> instead of buying anything, which I don't understand how it doesn't just hurt them. But uh, what is your take on this, Chris? I mean, I I just don't know why developers and publishers haven't uh, all just colluded to shut down uh, the pre-owned business. I mean, I understand that that was kind of the idea with Xbox One's Always On thing, right? Uh, and uh, the consumers revolted. But you look at this, and the basic concept is like, okay, for I'm using totally random numbers here, but. For uh, for all products sold, 70% can be new and 30% uh, needs to be used, which would mean on the on these used turnover, that's just gobs of profit that they're making. Right. Uh, GameStop doesn't make a lot of money off of a new game, but there's so much profit made off of these used price markups. Um, and that feels... Even if it wasn't uh, something that was like being ha- making the uh, the employees be held accountable for meeting that quota, just the idea itself of GameStop makes so much more money than any one individual developer on the uh, cumulative total of all games just being resold. So they don't create things. They don't um, take these you know, the risks of making new games. They just buy it from people and then mark it up and make gobs and gobs and gobs of money off of this process and 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 i get it like it's used games are a way for people to buy games cheaper they're a way for people to make money off of their initial purchases but for developers woof and if i was a developer a publisher and i was seeing this 
I would just be irate. I think one of the quotes was about Watch Dogs 2, how Watch Dogs 2 is 30 bucks new or 29.99 using some yeah, nine speech here. Yeah, let's <laughs> stick with our nine speech. <laughs> nine speech in fifty four ninety nine pre owned, in that they would just tell them that they didn't have new in stock, and then shuffle them out the door. Yeah. And like that's, uh, of course, that is the type of culture that a a company that makes most of its money off of used games would breed. Like even without the quota, this is the heart and soul of their business. So I it, yeah, it's the story itself is like maddening but this is what gamestop is and has always been it shouldn't be like too much of a surprise for anybody well it certainly is uh you know you kind of get the feeling you've had, always had a feeling in your gut that there's something <laughs> weird going on but to have it spelled out is is a little disturbing there have been to be fair there have been some other articles and interviews um with different managers saying that this is a this is not a corporate policy to you know lie to people obviously it certainly seems to be incentivized but that it's you know just poor management from a store to store perspective like if people are doing this that's kind of on the individual store manager rather than you know GameStop as a corporate entity but you can't argue with the fact that they are really pushing these these things that, as you point out, directly take money out of the creator's pockets. I mean, this is anytime you buy a used game from GameStop, you may be saving $5 on the game or $10 or whatever it is. And that's not to be discounted, right? That, that means a lot to a lot of people. But it directly takes money out of the pocket of the people who made the game because those people don't see that purchase at all. Only GameStop sees that purchase. Well, I guess you could say GameStop sees that purchase and the person who sold it back to GameStop sees some of that money. So you're giving it to other gamers in a in a way, but those people aren't getting a lot of money for their games. Yeah. So uh, what, what's your take on this, Christian? Yeah, well, that's been their age-old argument, right? And I don't know the data they have to – if it backs it up or not, I haven't dove into the footnotes of their financials. But it, they, they argue that it incentivizes gamers. They then get their money, and they're saving money on used games, and they take that money they're given and will buy a new game. So it kind of is this – even for the gamer, a circle of life where you'll go buy Mass Effect Andromeda, play it for 30 hours um, over the week, return it, get $20 back for it, and then, you know, maybe pick up a used game with that and then get your new game. And that they, they have argued that that kind of it all funnels into it and allows gamers to buy more games. Uh, okay, fine. I'm not going to challenge their data. I haven't looked at it. I haven't seen it. Maybe that's the case. But this whole idea of them just straight up lying or incentivizing you sales and then saying, well, yeah, you know, that might be some 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 managers might do that, but that's not uh, our corporate thing. It's okay. Wells Fargo. Yeah, right. You know, like you have enough of these managers and employees that have all conferred and said like, oh, yeah, 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 it's totally a thing. Whether or not that's an official policy that's getting printed and sent out to like GameStop to put up in the, the the back room or whatever, probably not. But whether or not it's a very real thing that is being pressured and put toward them as something that they need to do and they are punished if they do not meet these quotas, yeah, I mean, come on. And also, if the heads of GameStop don't know that this is happening and enough of these managers all across the country have said this is totally happening – 
then the next shareholder meeting, you need to fire the executives of GameStop because yeah. apparently there's a mutiny going on and they are not running their ship, right? It's either you're danged if you do, you're danged if you don't. You're either at the head of this horrible policy and something needs to be changed or you have no clue what the heck your stores are doing and you need to be removed. So I don't know I don't know what the silver lining is for the GameStop top brass here other than saying – uh, our profits are up because we're horrible yeah. people. <laughs> well, I mean, their profits certainly are up, and that's that's pretty you know sad commentary, I guess. But uh, anecdotally, I I don't know if you guys had the, have had this experience, but I have straight up walked into a GameStop on launch day of a game and said, "Hey, can I buy game?" And they went, "Did you pre-order game?" And I said, "No." And they said, "Then no, you can't buy game." And I said, "But you have a stack of games there." And they're like, "Yeah, but you can't buy game." And I went, "Okay." I'm going to walk next door to Best Buy and buy a game then because they it I could just buy it there. And I know that they don't they didn't just order enough of the game to give to the pre-orders. Like there's a buffer there. They're not idiots. Um but that has straight up happened to me and I guess I guess they don't care about the little bit of money that they're making on the new ones if you know they're willing to turn me away and people like me away rather than sell us a new game. Uh and I think that's kind of crazy yeah, yeah. I, I i i'm i'm just like shuffling through their recent stock things they've been down in revenue it looks like uh most quarters for the past few years uh mm-hmm. I, this is going off of the old google search but, but didn't i do they, like this... didn't they announce like a record year of profits last year i i thought i remembered i mean it wouldn't that. be surprising with like the like sudden boost in hardware sales but yeah. i do like this quote uh, physical game will return to growth in 2017. You know, if you wish it hard enough, <laughs> it's yeah. bound to happen. People are going to stop downloading those games. People are going to have their eyes open and everybody's going to go back to the big box retailers. Cause well, I mean the way, you, the way that you flip a switch and it magically makes GameStop irrelevant is you make downloadable versions of games less expensive than buying them in a store. And they're not willing to do that because they don't want to bite the hand that feeds them. But at some point, it's going to happen. So it's happening happening slowly, right? And they're not flipping a switch. But what they're doing is um, Oculus and HTC. I know PC games have been more and more just, you know, via Steam or Origin or something like that. But the Oculus store is digital only. The PlayStation VR, there are some retail releases of PSVR games, but mostly digital only. So it's kind of this iterative thing that as things are happening and rolling out, it used to be Xbox Live Arcade games were digital only. And then you see bigger and bigger types of digital only games. And it won't be long before Uncharted 7, you know, starring the squirrel you saw in the background of uncharted 2 made by a dev team that doesn't exist yet it's digital only you know what i mean like it's yeah, nobody's happening. walking into a GameStop and buying league of legends and we know right. that millions and millions of people are playing that game so yeah right it's happening yeah all right christian what is your story of the week um for me personally the biggest story is the playstation 4 firmware 4.5 it was submitted uh by a bunch of people but including tech junk x and schleps uh into the subreddit and it does a couple of things so it adds 3d movie support to the playstation vr yeah it's cool i guess that's awesome all right go ahead you can have 3d with your low-res screen that's awesome (laughs) only because said the biggest avatar fan on earth so <laughs> I, I no longer have a 3d television so i'm kind of excited i have all these 3d blu-rays sitting around that are useless to me you could take them to gamestop um 
You can add custom wallpapers. It adds a boost mode to the PS4 Pro for non-pro optimized games, which basically means if it's an older game that doesn't have a, a pro-enabled mode, it lets the pro run at a higher GPU and CPU clock speed, so it'll improve gameplay. And then the big one for me, and why this is story of the week for me, is that PlayStation 4 is finally getting external hard drive support. USB 3, I can get a 4 terabyte drive, just plug that bad boy in, and be the digital hoarder I want to be. I'm so, so excited. So it works exactly like the Xbox One works now. Well, it works as any external hard drive in the history of the world has ever worked. <laughs> right, no, but it's cool because it you can have it you can have games download directly to that, like yes. like I've been doing on my Xbox One for a year. Uh I'm not, I'm not trying to troll PlayStation. I'm just glad they finally caught up to what I've been enjoying on the other system yes. for a long yeah, time. Yeah, maybe if they were more elite, like Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> no, Xbox introduced it maybe a year or two ago. They've had it for a while. And it's an awesome feature because they run pretty fast. Like, I don't notice that. As a layman, I don't really notice a difference. I'm sure Digital Foundry has you know, tech oh, specs of running off the 3.0 or something. Dude, really? it's fast. On the Xbox One, because I have an SSD, external SSD, it's faster. In fact, um, there's a whole. I think we talked about it on the show when it, back when it was happening. I got it specifically for Fallout Four because Fallout Four load times were so excruciating, and it cut them down considerably. Just loading the entire game onto that SSD drive and plugging it in through USB three. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. Stephen A. Rivers asked in the chat four terabyte limit. I don't think so. I, I do not remember reading a limit. Four terabyte was just the the sweet price point that I saw when I was on Amazon to buy a buy a nice big external that didn't need external power. Yeah. I think you kind of uh, you glossed over some of the other cool features. I mean, nah. I think <laughs> I mean wallpapers. That's a wallpaper. No. Uh, oh, the- yeah. The PS4 Pro boost mode, I think, actually is is pretty neat for people that have PS4 Pros because you know a lot of a lot of these games required um, patches to take advantage of the PS4 Pro in any way at all, and you know they're not going to really improve uh, resolutions or any of that stuff or, or have a graphics pass automatically for anything. But there's a lot of people who already have the um, you know, sort of the beta of this 4.5 update and are showing that games that were really problematic, like Just Cause 3 and um, what was the other one that was a big... Is Bloodborne uh, better? That's Bloodborne, the one I'm yeah. waiting for. Yeah, Bloodborne. People have said that it is much improved. The load times are much improved. And um, and, and I think that's a huge, huge thing. I, you know, it kind of makes the PS4 Pro... A much more attractive purchase idea for people because it's not like you have to wait around for the devs to to patch it. It actually will help pretty much every game in some way. So that's cool. Yeah, you think that's cool, Chris? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it comes with like a million caveats, right? Like, it doesn't really improve the. It's not going to improve the fidelity of the textures. Uh, no resolution changing, and like most old games are capped at a right. frame rate, so uh, it it has a smoothness. But that said. I had like tons of frustrations with Bloodborne's uh, frame rate issues, so right. this would be a reason to go back and play it. So yeah, I think I think it's nice. I wouldn't be surprised if they keep kind of picking at this, trying to find ways to have that power do a little bit more for old games. I, I my hope is this is the beginning and not like, well, we did it. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> agreed. Yeah, totally. Um. So is that all you needed to say about that, Christian? And it supports a hard drive. You're, that's all. That's all you needed. Just tell me it supports <laughs> a hard drive. I'm good. I mentioned everything else, but yes, having it, having the PlayStation finally support an external hard drive is 
huge, and it's personally huge for me as someone with multiple PS4s in multiple locations. I don't need to worry about trying to do with because they do a lot of things bad. Uh, their cloud syncing between multiple things is cumbersome. Putting it onto a flash drive is cumbersome. I can have all my games on an external drive and swap them back and forth. This isn't the biggest story in gaming of the week. This is my story of the week, which right. really should be my album. We're all going to die is now available to buy. But I, <laughs> you know, I decided to oh, pick I'm a sure game. You'll, What's I'm the sure price point that. for that one again? Oh, if you get it at GameStop, it's actually uh, $45. But if you buy it new, which they're out of, it's only 9 <laughs> um, um, I think the next story is going to be the the real story of the week because I I, I I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, and there's a lot of lot of money in this story, and r- money really influences the biggest story of the week. Well, now I'm now the onus is on me to talk about this. Uh, no, you don't have to. Chris had his chance. <laughs> I, I had my chance. I just figured that like uh, you know a half billion dollars of story would be. I, I figured that's what was coming up. I was trying to like call your shot for you. You're pressuring me. Uh, I only wanted to talk about Nintendo possibly adding VR to the Switch, but I guess. I guess no, 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 no! Don't let me stop you. I, I mean, it's very interesting that that will never happen. Right? No, I agree. It'll never happen. It'll never happen. Uh, but a lot of people submitted that story. So no, but you know, we had uh, Israel Cans and USC McLeod both submitted the Zenimax story. This is a big deal, and and this is the resolution to the Oculus Zenimax lawsuit. Five hundred million dollar judgment. Which sounds like a lot of money, I guess, unless you're Facebook. Um, well, it's actually four ninety nine point ninety nine. Yeah, four ninety nine, <laughs> which makes it sound like a lot less. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, they they asked for six billion, so uh, getting five hundred million is is not exactly a huge win. Um, this is a dense story, so to catch everybody up real quick, they accused uh, Palmer Lucky and basically Oculus as a company of stealing trade secrets from. Zenimax Media because um, uh, there were you know they were working on um, VR tech with um, what's his name from ID John Carmack John Carmack thank you John Carmack was working at ID working on VR tech he was writing the the engine for Rage which was that game that came out a few years ago and he this kid Palmer Lucky was talking about. Uh, you know, VR tech and he was going to do this Kickstarter and he's like, come on over to my office. We'll hang out. We'll discuss it. And so they, they hung out, they talked about it. And evidently, uh, there was some exchanging of ideas, even though in order to have that meeting, Palmer Lucky had to sign an NDA. And when John Carmack was hired away from id, away from Zenimax Media to work for Oculus, some of the code that he wrote, it's his his code, but because he was working for ZeniMax, anything he makes while working for them is owned by them. Evidently, yeah, some of, his code is... It, well, he wrote it, right? It's not he like... He wrote it, but under the employee of ZeniMax, uh, full knowledge that what he was making was... It's like if I was at Ford and I designed the new Mustang and then I left and was like, come on with me, Mustano. <laughs> like it's right. Not, it's yeah, not. I guess so. But, but um, you know, he has said in the days that followed this, this announcement of the, this settlement uh, or the judgment, judgment, judgment that uh, you know, he, that he really attacked their expert witness and says their expert witness really doesn't know anything about how technology works. And he didn't, you know, do any of that. He didn't wipe any hard drives. There was no trying to cover up. So John Carmack has been very outspoken that he disagrees with this as he probably would, but uh, 
they did find that there was not trade secrets. There weren't any trade secrets that were that were violated, but there was copyright infringement. So that is basically just um, violating the NDA that Palmer Lucky signed. So I've done a probably poor job of laying that all out. But Chris, tell me what you think about this situation. Is it bad for VR? Is it bad for Oculus? I mean, it's kind of a drop in the bucket for Facebook as a company. But what do you think it means? Yeah, I mean, $500 million, any way you cut it, is a lot of money, even for a company that's like Facebook size. Um, I, I, I get it, right? Like, if uh, you're a major publisher uh, like ZeniMax, that is, <laughs> I, I would say, notoriously litigious. Uh, I, I mean, after the Scrolls incident. If you remember that, right? Yes, like they're, they're oh, not afraid. Chris, to... They just they just sued you for saying notoriously. <laughs> notoriously <laughs> well, they prefer often, and uh, they're taking you to court over that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm I'm like legitimately checking my email to make sure <laughs> to tomorrow. Um, but yeah, I I get it. I understand the idea of they had Carmack. They they have bad blood of him leaving the studio and going to act like work for Oculus. Um. My read, my limited read of what has been available publicly, I don't know if I agree with the settlement, but I, again, like, I track it. I see how, I see how a jury came to this conclusion, or not even a jury, how, how the lawsuit settled this way. Um, but that said, I, I think Zenimax's reaction following the events has been, uh, less than savory. Uh, specifically kind of making these weird box that they might have to like stop Oculus, uh, production and that they could, you know, they, they could keep going with this. And it, 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 there's all this like back and forth that is just so ugly and vindictive that I, I just don't quite follow it other than if there's like some personal vendetta between Zenimax, like high Zenimax leadership and Carmack and Oculus. Yeah, the real um, it, scary thing is is what you're talking about with the injunction. So there, there's a possibility, there's still a possibility that Zenimax could file an injunction and try to get them to stop selling Oculus headsets, uh, which I think would be, uh, you know, it, this is a nascent market already. This is, you know, they're they're selling, you know, less than a million units uh, projected over two years of, of Oculus headsets, and that's. That's slow start, right? So anything that slows that down, if they have to actually remove these things from sale for a while while they, you know, kind of purge the the code from from the Oculus, you know, environment, then uh, that could be really bad. It scans to me as an empty threat that is designed for appeals court mm. because this case will go to appeals and that gives them a little bit of leverage. Um, but well, we, I don't we, know. We do have a resident former lawyer, Christian Spicer. Uh, so, Christian, what is your take on this? So, I'm not an attorney. Any advice I give is not legal advice. Um, <laughs> so, it was a jury verdict well, that awarded them. Album for nine. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> also, which is not legal advice. Um, uh, it was a jury verdict. It went to the jury. The jury awarded them $500 million. So, in, in layman's terms, Oculus lost this lawsuit. It was not a settlement. Um, they, they tried the case, and the jury decided the counts for $500 million in ZeniMax's favor. Uh, I also think ZeniMax is very litigious, and, but I think that's often has a negative connotation behind it. Another company that is very litigious is Disney. And while I could go on for hours about how I think they've stifled 
copyright and intellectual property and <laughs> kind of run a train over the idea that we should continue to develop new IP because then it can be shared later. Whatever. What Disney has but done to the But it was an courts. adorable train that ran around the entire length of the, of the park. But it was Mickey Mouse <laughs> at the steam of it. So it looked great. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Like what ZeniMax does is often in defense of their properties. And I don't see them as... You know, they're not the stereotypical ambulance chaser, like the negative portrayal of attorneys just out there to do whatever they can to blah, 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 blah. It's like you have to defend your property or if you don't, you lose it. And ZeniMax is a big company that has a lot of tech and a lot of um, code that they own and them taking it seriously to defend it makes a lot of sense. I also think there probably is something personal here where one of your, you know, prized possession coders people in the industry ends up leaving to go to this other company after you allowed the founder of that company to come meet with you and sign an NDA saying they can't talk about it. And then you see them over there clearly talking about the stuff. I'd be like, oh, I'm coming. Uh, here I come. Uh, yeah. I also think it's fine for them to... I don't think the injunction would be granted, at least in stopping of sales, maybe, but that'd probably be... I don't think that's that big of a deal, but I understand why they'd want to do that. Like, I don't think it's a... About, oh, they shouldn't do that. It's such a young market. If they do that, it could really stifle VR. Do you know what else really stifles VR? Palmer Expletive Lucky. <laughs> <laughs> the guy was a champion for VR for years, but what he's done this past year is not helping it. Uh, and Oculus certainly hasn't paraded him around anywhere to to show off their shiny you know, million-dollar man. I, I just think Venomax yep. was very right to do everything they did in this case. I think that in the grand scheme of things, it will kind of be over now. I don't picture uh, Oculus or Facebook appealing this judgment because $500 million isn't a lot to them. And I also don't picture ZeniMax taking it to appeals to try to get the other counts rung up as well. But I think there will be continued bad blood between these two because the, well, yeah. they don't like each other. <laughs> this is getting into <laughs> speculative territory here. Uh, but I, I do think... Um, I have to imagine with ZeniMax, after they acquired id, uh, and they thought they were going to have this engine in id tech, what, five at that point, mm -hmm. that was going to power all these games. And, uh, they had obviously in Carmack, like the star developer, the brilliant engineering mind. Uh, and then rage flops, um, id tech five, uh, from what I've heard rumored, it was not, uh, the best purchase that there were some headaches with it uh rumor rumor cushion cushion um and then to like lose the the developer the face too and this is before doom came out and you know people suddenly loved it again that must have been like a kick in the neck yeah uh because i mean they had to have felt like i just can't imagine feeling like that acquisition had anything good come of it at that point yeah well, I mean, and if you were working on VR tech and you lost him to the guy, whether you, it's, it's like if saying, you know, like the sports analogy would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, you can come over and meet with our offensive coordinator. No big deal. But, you know, you guys are just talking. Don't worry about it, uh, college coach. <laughs> come on over. And then that college coach is like, hey, by the way, offensive coordinator, come to my college. And he's like, okay, see ya. By the way, I'm bringing this playbook with me. And you're yeah. like, no. <laughs> they got They got hit, man. They got hit. Uh, well, I want to. I don't want to spend too much time on news because we got lots of fun games to talk about. But I, I do need to talk about this because to catch you up, Chris. Uh, okay. Every year at the beginning of the year, we do uh, a show. It's just Christian and I, and we make predictions. 
wild predictions and and crazy predictions. And one of the crazy predictions that Christian made, which I straight up laughed at him for making, was that after the Switch comes out, Nintendo would announce an update to 3DS, like a new handheld system. Yeah, that sounds right to me. <laughs> well, it certainly it's sounds crazy right. enough to be Nintendo. It sounds <laughs> it sounds insane, and you know we know Nintendo is you know yeah. really insane. Well, news this week that that is exactly what is happening. That um, the 3ds, uh, the sequel to 3ds, is being worked on by Nintendo. Lots of uh, news stories about that. There was a uh, a call um, with uh, the big mucky mucks at Nintendo that was translated, so you never know how what good the translations are. But basically, they were saying, "Yeah, we're working on it." Uh, there's an article in Forbes, uh, kind of debunking that a little bit. But um, there's an interview with uh, Shinya Takahashi, whose title, by the way, is to be admired. Listen to this dude's title. Director and Managing Executive Officer, General Manager in the Entertainment Planning and Development Division at Nintendo. Woo! Yeah, that checks out. <laughs> that's pretty that, – you need bigger cards uh, to write that. Anyway, he, uh, he talked about the fact that, yeah, yeah, you know, we're always working on stuff. Ain't no big whoop. Uh, maybe. We do have lots of 3DS titles in development. Um, so expect to hear about those. And, you know, maybe there's a new handheld system. We don't know. So I wanted to, I, you know, not – Overlook this as Christian, you know, I have to uh, give him propers for even bringing up the subject uh, ahead of time before we even knew any kind of whispers about this. I also think it's still unlikely, but just the fact that they're making a bunch of new 3DS games kind of breaks one of the things that I thought was going to be so cool about Switch, which was this idea of converging all of their studios, their handheld division and their and their, you know, home console division to working on one console to make all of the studios that make all those rad games work on the same thing. I thought would be a a boon to the Switch and it sounds like that's not even happening. So Christian, I will pitch to you first. Uh feel free to gloat and or tell me what you think about this. I mean, I think my prediction is still a crazy one. I think the reason Nintendo's kind of been on shaky ground for the last few console releases, though, is because they still have abandoned their third pillar, the Game Boy, right? Like, they're just on two pillars out there. Um, I mean, they've said this before, right? That's the joke, that the Game Boy is their third pillar, or the 3DS is their, the DS is their third pillar. They're still very much console, Game Boy, and now DS. And then after that, never the words Game and Boy have been uttered by anyone at Nintendo. So for them to say they're still a 3DS or a successor of that coming i think is them hedging their bets saying hey still go out and buy that thing we're not abandoning it but but if the switch ends up becoming this huge home run i don't think they're going to be rushing to to put out a 3ds however i love being right so i will take this moment to push back in my aims chair comfortably with my spine supported properly and gloat all right well then i'm going to switch over to uh, hear what Chris thinks about this. <laughs> I I completely agree, but I will just modify that a little bit in that I think the Game Boy is coming back, essentially. I think Nintendo is very aware of their uh, new market as nostalgia for 30-year-olds who don't like to talk to people at parties. Um, judging from the Nintendo Switch commercials. But <laughs> I... Yeah, I, I think what... What? Why we can't just have a Switch is Nintendo has made so, so much money of essentially selling very cheap hardware at a price that seems reasonable to us, but is making them money. 
Um, and the Switch to me doesn't scan as uh, a way to make money off of hardware, like the DS did, was, like uh, older consoles were, and especially not like the Game Boy was, which was essentially a graphing calculator. Um, <laughs> and and I, I think that's what I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that other shoe to drop. Um, the DS was like, what, there are special editions down for $100 now. Um, I think that they're, the Switch will be the high-end system, and they'll stop thinking about it as console versus portable and start thinking of it as high-end and low-end in terms of cost. And right. I think there is some piece of more affordable hardware out there, whether that is they're going to have these NES Classic-type things that will just be coming out on a yearly basis. Um, I would not be shocked to see a Game Boy Classic uh you know, a hundred dollars or sixty dollars, and it has every great Game Boy game. Yeah, but I also think that there is something to a very thin, very small, very affordable, uh, portable gaming hardware that plays competent two D games. I, it just it seems like money on the table for them, and and development for those type of games is so cheap and so fast that. I, I just don't think that they're going to put all the resources into developing heavy lift 3D games. I think you're onto something with that Game Boy Classic idea. I think that's uh, <laughs> certainly a possibility. I'll let them know where they can send the check. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my favorite part of this story is the quote from Kimishima, the president of Nintendo. <laughs> Listen to this, guys. He says, as for your question on the Nintendo 3DS... We believe it could co coexist with the Nintendo Switch for the time being. Nintendo 3DS is a different system from Nintendo Switch in terms of its shape, weight, <laughs> price, and the types and number of currently available software titles. It's so different, you guys. It's like it's got a different name and it costs different and like it made of different plastics. Yeah, it comes in a different gonna, box and you know I'm use that when I bring a girlfriend home and Amanda's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "You can coexist. Use a different shape this one this one's black and this one's sort of like off black <laughs> and like it's uh you know they're so different this one <laughs> sinks when you put it in water it's like ridiculous i see kids using this at the store though too at the mom it's not the same it's totally the president of nintendo <laughs> said it i mean can we talk about the real reason they have to have two pieces of hardware out at any given time because if they don't, then they can't have, like, some obscure Namco Bandai game come out that connects both. <laughs> right. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, it's awesome. All right, guys. Uh, let's move on now uh, to the playlist. But first, I need to thank our sponsor. Squarespace. Uh -oh. Squarespace! Yeah, that's the one. Did you know that JeffCanada.com has been hosted on Squarespace for over 400 years? And in fact, Christian's parenting podcast, Department of Parenting, is also hosted on Squarespace. You can get, I don't know, I don't have the copy, Jeff. I've said it a million times. Everybody's heard me talk about Squarespace because I love it. I truly do. I recommend it to my friends and family. Uh, I've been using it for 10 years. JeffCanada.com is on Squarespace. DepartmentofParenting.com is on Squarespace. Christian uses it. Uh, and the reason for that is because it's the easiest, best way to make a website or online portfolio or a, a place to go buy stuff. They have plug-and-play widgets to let you drop in, you know, uh, uh, checkout and, and credit card uh, stuff so you can make any kind of storefront you need. Everything is drop drag-and-drop. It's all what you see is what you get. Really easy to edit. You don't have to have any HTML experience. It's 
Great. And the sites look professionally made even if you're not a professional website developer because the tools are so easy to use. Best of all, you can try out those tools for free. That's not like some places that say for free and then make you put in a credit card and then automatically charge you after you're done. No. Squarespace doesn't even take your credit card until you love what you've made with their tools. You log on, you build your site completely for free, and if you love it, then you can sign up. And if you sign up for a year, you'll get a free domain name thrown in, and we can give you 10% off just by using our promo code, all you have to do is go to squarespace.com slash DLC and use our promo code JeffSentMe, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E. At checkout, you'll get 10% off your order, and uh, I guarantee you're going to like like what they offer at Squarespace. If you have any need for a website, and let's face it, we all do. At some point, you're going to need a website. Squarespace.com slash DLC is the place to go to get yours. Use that promo code JeffSentMe when you check out. Get yourself 10% off. May I suggest the website switchin3dsardifferent.com. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> well, uh, choice. See if you can like get them to, to do like switch in three in, in 3dsardifferent.com. I don't know how you make that work, but I think you could. Mr. Plant, uh, you have been playing some fun games, it looks like. Um, what's on your playlist? Oh, I basically everything from Japan. I mean, <laughs> is that so because you traveled to Japan lately, or no? I I did last May, and I had a wonderful trip. I recommend that everybody go to the Hakone Open Air Museum if they make the trip. It's really nice. That's my that's my recommendation for the end of the episode. And I wasted <laughs> it here. <laughs> um, now I've been playing. Oh, let's see. I got a little bit of that Final Fantasy. Got some of that uh, Hatsune Miku Project Tango. I don't remember. It's it's one of those Miku games where they sing and you like play rhythm and then it asks you to like dress up uh, the teenage girls in costumes and then you're like, you know what? Maybe I don't need to play more of this. In <laughs> um, Gravity Rush 2. And then I, I think most of this week has been Resident Evil 7, mm. which is, is just a delicious little meal of perfect uh level design isn't it quite amazing what they managed to do with that franchise i i think i would have been the last person to suspect that capcom would be able to go back to that well and and look at it with such fresh eyes um but man is it awesome it really is strange i want to know everything about how it was made you like often i'm, I'm definitely curious about how uh any given game is made but there are so many choices on it that I feel like along the way, somebody had to have been like, no, like that, that, <laughs> won't, that won't work or make us money. Um, maybe that's not safe. Uh, I mean, the, just the idea that – did you play Resident Evil 6? Mm-hmm. I actually liked – I liked the last mm. few Resident Evils. I played oh, 6 and I liked the last – Wow. I did. did <laughs> Did you like 50 Cent Blood on the Sand? Because they felt like the same game to me. <laughs> Except well, one knew what it was, and the other one was Resident Evil. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, one had 50 Cent on the cover. That's true. Like, fighting in Iraq. I had fun with those games. I, I did. That's fair. Well, they had they had so many uh, cutscenes. Like, right. Resident Evil got to this point where I was like, oh, it, it's just kind of a, a whatever shooter. Uh, there's some co-op in cutscenes. And... There, there is one point in Resident Evil 7 near the end, and I'm not going to say what anything that happens, but you could visibly tell that the first person had shifted to pre-rendered, mm-hmm. and it was jarring. And I realized, like, oh, 
so much of this game has been in my control. And how unusual is that for this series? That like, yeah. uh, is it okay for me to talk about like the first boss fight? Sure, we can just let people know that if you don't want to be spoiled at all for the first boss fight, uh, skip ahead, you know, a minute or so. But um, there's lots of this game that isn't that first boss fight, and I, I think I think we can talk about it. But yeah. what Chris considers yeah. the first boss fight is actually the last hour of the game. So as long as we're clear <laughs> on that. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. Um, no, so you are in a garage, and it's like a small garage. There, uh, There's this older man who's the patriarch of the family who owns this home that you spend most of the game in and he has a it's like a hybrid of a camaro a mustang and a firebird all in one like it that's is like Bastano the ultimate I developer crisis. ford <laughs> yeah <that's> a- <laughs> um and you you like it, it starts out kind of feeling like traditional you don't have a lot of ammo uh in your pistol that you get from the corpse and you kind of shoot him in the head and he's uh, you immediately find out immortal. So there's not really a good way to take him down. So you hop in, you find keys and you hop in the car and you try to run him over. And then he jumps on your hood and bashes through the ceiling and then holds down the gas pedal and basically charges you into a steel pole that goes through his face. Uh, and that's partly how you take him down, except for then the entire thing catches on fire and he ling- like, kind of lumbers at you as a giant flaming corpse and that alone is wild and that all of it is playable and in your control is fantastic except that's not how it goes down every time right i thought that was like the thing and i was like oh it's very impressive very smartly scripted but if you aren't good about getting control of the car dude will just straight up get in the car and do donut holes donut holes what is it donuts that's donuts, right yeah. donut holes <laughs> he'll do a he'll cronut <laughs> murderous cronuts at you <laughs> until you die uh and it, and i was so impressed by they they could have just done one of those like it would have been fine for it to be scripted and for it to play out as it does but the idea that they were like well sure most people probably won't play this multiple times but we'll really actually let you have different ways of taking down this boss. We'll put them all in here. And then we'll do that for some later bosses too. Is a level of like TLC. I just don't associate with that series whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. And even before that, like in the very beginning of the game where you're, you're playing this little cat and mouse chase with that same, you know, the patriarch of the family. Um, I died a few times on that. And each time I would respawn and try it again, it played out differently. Like one time he like burst through the wall at me as I was running down the hallway. And another time he did not. Another time he like came around behind me and, and hit me with a shovel. And I mean, it, it's so cool that what you're saying, the, it feels so cinematic. It feels like a cutscene type situation. And yet it's dynamic. It plays out differently. It, it, it really is under your control. And it's, it, I love the fact that these fights, you know, from a, a a franchise that has been all about like turret shooting and and the challenge is in having the right amount of ammo to take something down, that really the the fights for a large extent are puzzles. They're not just, you know, twitch shootery stuff. It's how do I how do I 
think this through. What do I do like you would watching a horror movie? Like, oh my God, don't go in there. You know, think of a run over there, grab the keys, start the car. All of those fun, what would you do in that situation type moments play out in this horror video game. Really yeah, fun. And, and now that you're mentioning it with the, the beginning, it, it's hitting me how obvious this is of why it's important for there to be so many different variables of how things can go. Because a big beef I have with most horror games is if you do die, it just becomes speedrunning. Like, right. okay, this person's going to jump out. There's no more scare anymore. And yeah, I, I had that same moment where the first time dude jumped through a wall at me. So the <laughs> next time I like kind of approach that slowly, but then nothing happens. So then I dash. And the second I get to the corner, that's where he is. Right. It, yeah, yeah. It, it really, really works well. And it also retains all of that fun early Resident Evil, like find the key to the thing and figure out the puzzle to get through the, the door. And, 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 and then there are later on also some sort of just, um, uh, you know, dummy bad guys that you empty your clip into. And so it, it retains even the, the shootery stuff. Am I, I soft or is it really scary? Say that again? Like, is it, do you, did you find it scary? Uh, because I, I was like, pretty thoroughly spooked uh and i don't know if that's just because like i am uh, a small baby boy or oh, i'm a really teeny, spooky. teeny tiny baby boy as well i i and i'm playing it in vr and oh. i yeah i'm losing my s all the time uh it is uh it is something i can't play for long stretches because i get so spooked and my heart rate <laughs> increases so much um and just like the ambient noise is creepy and then also, my house will have, you know, like my wife will walk through and that'll scare the crap out of me because I'm in VR and I don't know <laughs> if it's really her or the game. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I am definitely losing it playing. I play game. with my Wii Vitality sensor on so I know that <laughs> um, how scared I get. I, I streamed, I think, the first hour I played in VR and I committed to my stream for 45 minutes. So I set a timer on my watch. And I think like 15 minutes in, I slid the VR helmet for like, I'm just going to see how, how long I've played. Oh, crap. <laughs> Only 15. Uh, it's it's nerve wracking. And then I played it not in VR too. And the audio is so strong. Like if you don't have VR and you really want to be scared, put on a nice set of headset, uh, headsets, a nice set of headphones, um, that can approximate the 3D sound or, you know, surround sound because it is... Yeah, sound design strong. Creepy. Yeah. 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 Um, tell me about Gravity Rush 2 because Christian and I both played it and we had, uh, you know, varying levels of enthusiasm and disappointment with it. Uh, at, at, I think we both love the the mechanics of the um, combat system but found some of the crest design to be pretty underwhelming. So what, what's your take on Gravity Rush 2? Okay, so I adore it. Um, I adore the brand. I I love large open worlds where you don't have to fight things, um, and you can actually use the the space for exploration. Mm -hmm. And what drives me crazy is I love obviously GTA, but uh, I prefer something like Just Cause where you're actually navigating the verticality of the space and not yeah. just stuck to the ground. Um, and I know that obviously GTA is helicopters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Gravity <laughs> Rush 2, it, it's just, there's so much control to how you get around. And beyond that, I just love the story. I love it. There's a game that is a story about income inequality, and it's not just a generic Robin Hood story. Mm -hmm. um, and that they hint at these story elements in the first part of the game. Uh, again, I'm going to drop a spoiler here, so I apologize to anyone. Uh, but you start out in kind of like a 
it kind of looks like uh, Cuba. Like a, a... If Cuba was floating in the air? Yeah, Cuba was floating in the air, and, and it was just like the marketplaces and, and like the accompanying apartments and condos. And you hear about uh, the factories and the, the poor community and the wealthy community, and then you jump. You have a mission that it shows you like, I don't know, it's like 900 meters away, but it's beneath you. And yeah. you jump off of the edge, and you just fall into another world. It's an uh, amazing it's, moment. Yeah, it's it really an amazing is. moment. And I, I get like it's a it's a very repetitive game. I think the combat could be finessed. I don't think the camera works as well as it should. But I've kind of gotten to this point where I think there's, and this is being very broad, but a distinction between Japanese uh, video game development and uh, American or just traditional Western game development, which is. Western games are obsessed with concealing the gaminess. Like, they spend so much time and money and resources to make it invisible that you're playing a video game. They make the menus feel like they're part of the world. They make it feel like you just absolutely have to be going in the direction you're going, uh, creating a sense of momentum, making it look all very cinematic. And when I think about these games like Gravity Rush 2 or uh, Yakuza 0 or Resident Evil 7, I think they embrace their gaminess in a way I really appreciate. Mm. Um, Resident Evil 7 doesn't like have any problem with you solving a puzzle with a shadow. Uh, it, I, it finds like a humor in it. And same with... It, 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 I don't know. It feels like it's paying respect to some greater tradition that I feel like is largely getting erased when mm. I play Western games that are less interested in an homage to video games of the past than like, hey, did you see that Jerry Bruckheimer movie? Bam! Now right. you're playing it. That's fun, <laughs> right? It's like, yeah, I, I guess it looks nice. Um, so I don't know. I, I think I'm. I think I can be a little more forgiving of the repetition because I just find so many big games to be repetitious. It's just more noticeable in a game that doesn't spend so much time and effort to polish it away. Hmm. I think that's a wonderful way of putting it. Um, I, you know, I, I love the story as well in the sense that there isn't any other video game that is, has that kind of tone, right? And it's not about somebody waking up and going, there's a giant evil floating in the sky. You must destroy it. Uh, you are the little boy who, you know, who has the power and you're the chosen one. This is like, it really is a much more nuanced, interesting story. It's just, delivered in in a really kind of cheesy anime way that I find to be alternatingly delightful and um, lame. Yeah. <laughs> for know? me, and I think, Jeff, maybe the same for you. I think I can maybe speak for both of us, but let me know if I'm wrong. Like, it's charming until it overstays its welcome. Like, it's charming yeah. through the anime or, like, the motion graphic cutscenes. But then when you're going through the world and you're just like, you got to go talk to four villagers. You're like, okay, cool. This won't be that. And every... Time talked of it, it's like, huh? Wah, huh? And you're just like, oh man, I can't. How many more vill- villagers do I have to talk to? And it's like, one more. And you're like, oh, I don't care. I don't yeah. care. Yeah. And, and then it'd be like, after the fourth villager, it's like, okay, find the next person. And you're like, I don't want to find them. Just tell me where they are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't want to waste my time finding them. Like, Kat's eyes get all big the way mine do. But like, hers is like, oh, let's do this. And I'm like, oh, we got to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, I, I think it's a really interesting game and I love so much about it. It just, you know, when I have to find the birthday present for the girl and it's like 20, yeah, I don't want to spend my time doing this, but 
there are moments of real joy and awesomeness. And I, I totally support what you're saying, Chris. I, I think it's a really cool game. Christian. I'm, I'm really curious about Christian's thing. So I'm, I, I'm just like, I'm hyped for this one. Yeah. Uh, Ghost Recon Wildlands. Um, I didn't even bother downloading the beta, even though uh, we both got invites. Um, thanks, by the way, to Spaminator. Right, Christian? Yes. Uh, because I've been so uninterested in this game. I'm wholly <laughs> uninterested in everything I've seen about it so far. It feels like the most Ubisoft Ubisoft of all Ubisofts, which is fine for people who dig that. But uh, it's just never been my jam. But you came away really excited about this game. Dude, uh, one, yeah, the it, it, it might be the most Ubisoft Ubisoft ever. But what made it the most Ubisoft Ubisoft ever is it out Ubisoft itself for its E3 reveal where it was like <laughs> – now we're going to play live on stage. Tango, Rango, Fango, and Smango. Let's do this. And it's like, yeah. the, like the most coordinated, like millennials playing a video game ever. Nice, nice move, black guy. You did a good move, Asian girl. Don't forget me, the blonde white guy. <laughs> and they're just like playing video games. Um, <laughs> but man, this game, I think the thing it has going against it is its release date. I think it is being, put out an unfortunate time against mass effect and zelda and potentially horizon zero dawn but having played a couple of hours of this closed beta i think this game can be something could end up being something very very special i think played with friends it'll be even more special but playing alone it feels like it's almost the perfect mix of The Division and Far Cry 3 or Far Cry 4, where you're driving around in the vehicle, in the Jeep, and it feels just like Far Cry. And then you kind of get into these instanced village moments where it's third person, but when you aim, it goes into first person. You can keep it over the shoulder if you want, but I found it hard to shift your shoulder perspective to you know shoot around a corner. Um, and it feels a little more tactical, like you would want from a Ghost Recon. Your squad mates aren't the best in terms of like understanding the limited AI you're able to to give them, and at, you know it's not as coordinated as it would be as if you were playing with your actual Tango, squad Lango, mates. And Django, right? Tango, Rango, and Django. Um, but man, there was it's, it, the emergent gameplay that Far Cry did so well, and that I think the Division had some of also is very present in this game. And as I was looking at the map, I have, I think I streamed, I replayed the first hour and I streamed it. You can find it. I think it's on my Twitch and it's archived on the YouTube, which is just Christian Spicer 713. Um, you start looking at the map just for this closed beta and it's it's getting Ubisoft all all over the place, right? Like all these side missions, all these intel, all this stuff that you can do. And, I'll, and then you zoom out and you see how big the full game is. And like, I don't know if they have their programmers just tied to chairs or if these things are just easy to like, they just control C from Assassin's Creed two and put it in this and like update. <laughs> I don't know how they do it, but this world looks giant. Apparently there was a hack that you could get into the whole map, but even just the closed beta, the amount of stuff to do in it is insane. And then you're able to spec your person in a way that feels authentic in terms of specializing, which way you want to go. But where I think it has this, the potential to be something super special, especially with friends, is you get things like 
a helicopter super early, and then you can unlock a parachute, and then you can have a squad mate in the helicopter, and then you jump out with the parachute and then pull out a sniper rifle and look across the map and find the person you're going to take down, take them down, then rip your parachute back in and then just dive to the ground and then switch over to like an AK-47, lob a grenade, blow up an entire village. Your squad lands the helicopter with two other dudes shooting machine guns as they come down, and you're like, holy crap. I'm just played the most brutal scene of Apocalypse Now. Just Cause. I mean. (laughs) Or Just Cause, right. This is insane. Then the only thing that kind of like kicks that in the crotch is that it lands and then it will go into like this cutscene that is the most serious Ubisoft. We're licensed Uh. with Tom Clancy. We have to do it this way. And they're like, yeah, we're really getting our butts handed to us. Here's some self-serious stuff over some really slick motion graphics. And you're just like, oh, like I want... This this is the best just cause, right? But it has the division self-seriousness wrapped over it. Like, if they could just let go of that and let Blizzard write the story or just cause write the story where it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not even going to bother with this serious story because we know what you and your friends are going to be doing in this world. Go have fun. I think that this could be, you know, moment of the year gameplay kind of thing where you showing sharing clips online. Again, this is based on three, four hours with the closed beta. But don't overlook this game. I think there's wow. going to be a lot of fun to be had. Again, exactly what I was doing was overlooking that game. <laughs> well, it's hard not it to was. when it releases. And I was given this code. Uh, you know, I have no skin in this game, but I I was very and it looks great. Like Ubisoft, these games look fantastic. This is huge world. Once you load into it, you're just going. It's. I think it could be pretty crazy. Wow. And when does it come out? This comes out like the when everything comes out. Yeah, it's like Horizon. It's like March seventh or something oh, like that. Uh, yeah, that is terrible timing. Get this game in June when it's twenty dollars yeah. and not from GameStop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, anything else on your uh, playlist you want to mention? I downloaded uh, the Rogue One table from Zen Pinball guys and gals. I'm playing it on iOS. They make some of the best. I'm just huge fans of theirs. They make uh, great 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 pinball and uh they had a star wars sale going on and the rogue one table is new and it's great it has a lot of spirals and twists and turns and um i believe it's lines from the film so you haven't checked it out and you're looking for something a time waster on your phone um it's another fantastic table from the people at zen that's kind of it so i got into the um the uh early access for conan exiles on pc uh, and everybody was like, uh, it's Ark. It's uh, that game Ark that like everyone is playing. And I'm like, oh, I never really played that. And there's a whole bunch of people who listen to the show who if um, uh, Mika is one, she, if she's listening, she'll be happy that I finally did this. Because everybody was like, you got to play Ark. Like, you got you to try Ark. And I've been resistant. I don't know why. So I'm super late to the party on this, but I played like you know, an hour of Conan, and then I went, I guess I should probably play Ark to have context for this game. So uh, the good news was Ark was on sale this last weekend for 10 bucks on Steam. So I was like, I'll buy buy for 10 bucks. Well, Ark has definitely got its hooks in me. Um, (laughs) I don't know if you remember, Christian, but way back in the weekend confirmed days, we were talking, you know, we talked a lot uh, on those shows about, you know, ways to create video games that aren't just, uh, you know, murder simulators that aren't just, you know, that kind of find a way to have compelling gameplay loops that aren't just shoot people in the face. Uh, and one of the things that I pitched years and years and years ago was like, well, wouldn't it be cool to just like be on a deserted Island? You have to survive and figure out how to do it. Well, 
that's what this game is. And everybody has known it but me for like years now. Uh, but I didn't realize that's what Ark was. And I don't know how this had such a blind spot for this game because it's really it's one of the top Steam games at any given time. And, um, you know, millions of people are playing it. And somehow there's this weird thing where people like us that are in the the cycle of getting excited for the newest, latest, best, um, there are these games that have long lives and create giant communities. And I guess for some reason we don't usually get into that because we're on to the next thing too often. And Ark is one of those things that, you know, has growing. It's still technically in early access, but it is grown and it is, you know, this massive thing. Anyway, if you don't know what Ark is, the idea is that you are a survivor that wakes up on uh, this, this world that is inhabited by dinosaurs and you have to survive. And another thing that I talked about for years is like, when are we going to get those games that are inspired by Minecraft, but do Minecraft better? Well, this is it. And again, super late to the party. I get it. Everybody knows this but me. But uh, this is exactly what I wanted Minecraft to be. Like the first time I played Minecraft all those years ago and I had to survive through the night while those creepers were walking around and I had to, you know, make a tunnel or cave to hide in. This is that but done with really awesome graphics and you're fighting dinosaurs. You are hunting dinosaurs and killing them and skinning them and creating things and you get recipes and you level up your guy and you die over and over and over again, but you persist. It's got some roguelike elements there where you're the engrams that you use to, to um, level up your, your crafting abilities persist through death. And so you can actually, you know, get more and more powerful and create bigger and bigger things. And then eventually you team up with other people on the Island and you have these giant cities that you've all created together. Um, so, I'm totally charmed by this. And uh, my friend and I are like, and he bought a server. And so I think I'm going to be putting some time into this. Chris, have you ever played any of Ark? I'll be honest. I haven't. I I have a problem with um, video games. Specifically, <laughs> video games, like, I know will ask a lot of time for me. Yeah. Because with my job, so, like, what I do it at The Verge is uh, – I had this blessing of being promoted up to a culture editor. So my job isn't just games anymore, which is nice, I guess. But <laughs> that means I can't, like, dedicate myself completely. So the second I start, say, playing a mobile game, and I'm like, wow, this is great, I immediately exit it and delete it forever. <laughs> so I never see it again. Good plan. And, yeah, in any of these survival games, I... I find them super fascinating. I try to like watch a lot of it so I at least understand how they work. But the pace at which they move and the commitment that they ask of the player is like it not does not jive with my life at the moment. So yeah. I have to protect myself from them. No, you you make a great point. I mean, uh, games that we've been talking about are games that have a beginning, middle, and end, right? And you feel like you can play through Resident Evil 7, you can play through Gravity Rush, you can play through Ghost Recon, you can play these games and and have a complete experience. But these games that persist on, on Steam and on, you know, streaming sites everywhere, you know, the, on Twitch are these huge games that just live on and on and on. And there's there's no end. There is just time commitment. And I already have one of those in the form of Heroes of the Storm. So I'm not exactly anxious to start another. And it, it, But it is really a compelling idea to feel like you start from nothing. And, you know, the way these games work is you wake up, you're basically naked, you 
you know, smack a tree to get some wood and thatch from it. You pick berries off of a bush and you start trying to survive. You cobble things together to make a, a makeshift a pick and then you can pick stone and, and then you can make, you know, your rudimentary weapons and some bad clothing and a campfire to cook some food and you're getting hungry and you're getting thirsty and little by little you get more and more robust and able to venture farther and farther away from the shore and, and there's more interesting stuff deeper in and then there's these big dinosaurs and then you can tame dinosaurs <laughs> and you can build, build, uh, uh, saddles and ride dinosaurs and then you've got this kingdom of dinosaurs and you can build these massive structures to house them and fence them in and then there's other factions there's other tribes on the island of of other human players and you can fight against them and create these great wars i'm nowhere near that point yet but i can certainly see how compelling that is and just the uh you know rinse die repeat uh of waking up on the island you know, learning some things, getting some materials, building some stuff, trying to kill a dinosaur, getting killed, and then respawning and doing it all over again. It's fun. It's fun. I mean, to compare Ark to Conan, so Conan Exiles is, in, in a lot of ways, a skin for Ark. I mean, it is very much the same type of game, even down to the layout of the menus and how it all works. They're they're clearly making the same kind of game. Same uh, devs or just kind no, of no 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 Funcom uh, is making Conan Exiles, but I mean it is, it's like I guess you know, Dota and League or whatever sure, it's right. you know or any first person shooter. It's we're making this kind of game, so this is how you make this kind of game, right? Or all the numerous um, MMOs that all have the same you know. Uh, icon buttons at the bottom of the screen and chat window in the bottom left and map in the upper right. Like it's all very much the same template. Don't reinvent the wheel when your guy's still trying to create the first wheel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and you know, and a lot of hay has been made uh, about Conan's like nudity and how there's like, you know, you can make your little man have a wang danger that wiggles as you walk. Um, I actually just started the game and didn't even notice that the default setting was to have no nudity and just was been playing like that because <laughs> who cares but um they do do some interesting uh, refinements to the to the very subtle things and, and you're playing arc and conan back to back you kind of pick up on these things that are, where you know it'll automatically equip stuff that you make and it'll it, there it does some things a little smoother than arc does perhaps it's hard for me to get as excited about the Conan license as I am about taming and riding dinosaurs. So I think I'm more drawn to Ark, but uh, both of the games are, I mean, I think Conan is beautiful. It's a unreal engine game. And um, I think Ark is not bad looking either, but I think Conan looks better and it's it, it, it super early access. So there are a lot of, uh, balance things that are way off i mean you die a lot more in conan than i ever did in arc and i'm dying a lot in arc um and you know things are just really out of whack like your first campfire takes 50 branches and <laughs> it's just insane to gather that many branches every time you die just to make a campfire to cook some food you're building your funeral pyre is what you're <laughs> yes, <telling> basically <laughs> yeah um, and you know, then I guess they're having all kinds of server issues too. I've just been playing, uh, on my own local server as a, a single player, just to kind of learn how to play these kinds of games before I hop in. We, you know, as we played more arc, uh, my friend and I jumped into some, you know, other servers where people exist and it's weird. You know, you, you spawn as a fresh player and there's already like giant cities of 
people having created all these crazy, you know, Minecraft esque buildings and everything. And it's like, it's a little disorienting. You know, I, I, we don't belong here. We don't belong here. Um, it was earth the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but man, I totally get why these games are so popular. Um, it's, it's exactly the sort of the wish of Minecraft. It, it takes away that Lego, that sort of basic Lego aesthetic and actually makes uh, a world that looks as good as a, any first person shooter. But you know how in games that we're talking about, when you craft something, usually, you know, even in the Witcher or uh, whatever, if you're looking for crafting materials, usually the plant has little glowy bits or an outline or looks different color than the other plants around it, because that's a craftable one. That's one where you can harvest the berries that you need. In these games, literally everything, just like Minecraft, everything is harvestable. So there's no and, – and I think that's a really immersive, cool aspect of these survival games is that if I walk up to a bush, I can harvest stuff from that bush. I can cut down any tree in the game and I can break any brick or any stone. It's a giant boulder in the way. I can just keep hitting it with my pick until it breaks up. Um, and that's – I don't know. That's, there's something really neat about that, I think. It makes the world feel dynamic. When you describe this, I, I realize that these games are like the Moby Dick of video games. Follow me here. Uh, <laughs> but like unbelievably rewarding experience if you can make it all the way through, right? Like a lot of good stuff at the end, but you have to read 250 pages about like the fishing industry. <laughs> so like if you're, if you're willing to really stick through all, all of that stuff – you're really in for a treat, but most of the time you're going to be collecting 50 branches for your fire pyre. Well, I guess you can well, call me Ishmael. Cliff notes. <laughs> yeah. I guess you can call me Ishmael because I'm kind of digging it. Um, yeah, but you, you, you're right and you're wrong in the sense that there is fun to be had along the way. Yes, you're collecting 50 branches, but there is a kind of a joy in... Wow. In Dig the... it, Moby Dick right there, but it's okay. <laughs> um. Anyway, that's what that's what I've been playing. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be talking more about art because I think um, I think we're kind of in it. Even though there's all these things on the horizon, it's really a terrible time to <laughs> start a game like that <laughs> because I really want to be playing uh, Horizon Zero Dawn uh, very soon, and then Zelda, and then Mass Effect. Well, the good news is when Zelda comes out, it apparently requires so little of your attention that like first thing when you wake <laughs> up, you can just jump right back into it. You can literally play while you're cooking eggs. Like oh, it's nice. the most <laughs> passive game to play ever so you know if nintendo's ever told me anything in their commercials it's only the truth (laughs) can i share a nintendo switch reaction please um my my wife does not she's totally indifferent to video games which has been actually very convenient uh because it creates like a nice uh divide of things that i do with my free time Hmm. but because this uh she sees things like when normal people do so she wasn't super familiar with the nintendo switch until in the middle of the super bowl the first you know big uh trailer for the switch came on and i was like watching her reaction while it was happening and she was totally blank face and then she turns to me and she says i just don't get it that asshole needs to make up their mind <laughs> and i was like what and she's like you either are gonna do you can play that game in your bed or you can play it on your tv but you don't need both <laughs> i was like oh wow i also apologize i went blue there that's okay that's okay i think we, we're all right um <laughs> it was worth it. Uh yeah, I think that Zelda's gonna be my laying in bed game. I mean, that's really Yeah, honey, I'm going to bed. Going to bed, I'll just gonna be looking at this it's real the quick. The best sick day game ever at that point. Totally. 
All right, let's uh, let's move on to a quick. Uh, I want to do a quick um, VR talk because I do want to do tabletop time because we have some fun stuff to talk about there. So let's get to VR talk. Chris, you have uh, been playing some VR games and. Are you enjoying them? You haven't tried the the Resident Evil in VR, but you've been playing some now, VR stuff. I, I couldn't bring myself to get a PSVR. I I did all the the preview sessions. The the image quality was not my thing. I'm impressed that you have been playing Resident Evil on it because that seems like I I would literally lose my lunch even if I hadn't had anything. It would just be a, <laughs> a pile of acid in my hands. Um, but. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I have. I'm very spoiled. I have an Oculus and a Vive uh, because of my job. I play so little of it because. So I lived in uh, in New York City for 12 years in a, a very small Manhattan apartment, and it would have been impossible to play any VR in that space. We like Connect didn't work in it. It was like that size. So now I live in Texas. I have a house, and I was like, great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be playing so much VR, and I still don't have room for it unless I move my uh, gaming PC to the living room, which I guess is a choice, but it seems really silly that I uh, need to like install cameras in a living room to play a video game. Yeah. Uh, that said, I did that two weeks ago, so <laughs> maybe, maybe my, like, my VR uh, output will increase. The, the thing that has been... Uh, my my go to has been super hot VR just Ooh, on loop. So Every good. time I think about playing something else, I just play that. Um, and have you have you already talked about it on the show? I don't want to like. No, we have, but it's please. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. We, I, we love this game. I mean, you you punch people in the face and uh, and then you grab their guns and you shoot them in the face again. You just keep <laughs> pulverizing their faces until they break. I mean, you it's really break faces. The faces shatter. That that is actually my favorite Limp Biscuit lyric. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Turned into a video game, but yeah, I I the thing is, as much as I love it, I still just don't feel like I have had the experience in VR that feels like the VR game. Like I, I love Super Hot; it was fantastic on PC. It's a little bit better, I I suppose. It's just different in VR. Oh, it's so uh, much better. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I like I like walking around. I like momentum. Mm-hmm. And being locked in isn't quite my thing. Um so I guess I guess I'm just still waiting for my my heart to to find the way. I mean, can you sell me on it? What what am I missing? I that- mean, I try to do that every week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I would say if you have the Vive, uh, you okay. should download Vanishing Realms immediately if you have not played that yet. Um, Is that the Insomniac one? No, that's yeah. it's one dude made it, but it's the Legend of Zelda first person in okay. VR, and okay. it's short. It's not a long experience, not a full game yet, really. But it will, I think, I think it will make you realize what we have in store for us very soon, um, or at least it did for me, and. You know, there are, there are a lot of really cool long experiences. Um, 
I mean, I also would highly recommend uh, Call of the Star Seed, which is the first episode of The Gallery, if you haven't played that yet in Vive. That's like a adventure. It's basically Goonies, but done in VR, and it's puzzles, and it's amazing. It feels like a big full game. Um, and then there's lots of stuff on Oculus uh, Touch that I think is, is pretty awesome, too. But um, for me, you know, the, the short version of selling it is that sense of presence is that feeling it all around me and, and being able to reach out and touch things and being inside the video game. I I really have gotten to the point where seeing it on a 2d surface is not as compelling as being inside it and looking around and feeling like I'm there. Uh, And even games, I mean, the game that uh, I'm going to bring up in this segment, uh, which is the beta for landfall, which is this new game from Oculus studios they just put out a, a beta for it. It's been been in development for a while. And, you know, as much as Oculus has been reinforcing the touch controllers, this is another new game that uses a controller. And it is an old type of game. It is a top-down, uh, sort of isometric um, uh, shooter. But it's like a, not really an RTS. I guess there's some RTS elements, but you're controlling one unit and you're running around and you're shooting stuff. It's almost like Diablo in a sense. But the fact that the game world is all around me and I'm looking down on this map, but it doesn't feel like a map. It feels more like I'm playing with toys. I'm playing with uh, action figures that all animate and are cool. And, you know, it's this futuristic war that's happening all around me. And my little man that I'm controlling with my controller runs and shoots dudes and then calls down a mech. And the spaceship, like, flies right by my face and la- and drops a mech from, from the air. And then my little dude climbs inside the mech. And then it looks like a friggin' awesome toy that I would play with as a kid because it's three-dimensional and it's right there in front of my face. And I'm there. I'm present. It's not like a this 2D surface that I have to look at. Uh, this is a reach. Did did you play Herzog's Y when you were a kid? I did not. Or a teen? I did not. Oh my gosh. Th- it sounds like there's uh, a Sega Genesis game that was like an RTS, but you also walked around and shoot, and it was futuristic like this. And if, if that's what this is, if they were like, here it is, we're going to make that Herzog's Y reboot for Chris, we can't get the rights, but here it comes, <laughs> then like, I'm just not going to leave. VR, and then I'll be on board. There so you go. You've definitely sold me. If I mean, there's a lot of. I'm, ho- I'm hoping that's what that is now. I really hope that's what that is. <laughs> the uh, unforgettable game from Technosoft. <laughs> I'm gonna have to look that up. Um, and I've been playing a lot more Resident Evil Seven in VR, but we already talked about that. Um, but that landfall it really gives me a lot of encouragement, and, and it's a multiplayer thing too. So you can like get on with multiple people, and I control a, a couple units, you control a unit. Uh, we cooperate and figure out how to defeat the other two dudes who are across the way it, it's it's super rad and the, the like the tutorial level is this bridge and you can turn around behind you and the bridge like goes off into infinity and there's stuff happening throughout the the bridge it's like explosions and tanks and little troopers it really feels like the coolest you know um model train set or whatever you know like a cool gi joe uh diorama that's happening it's it's the coolest i love it did you get a chance I, to try that, Christian? Nope, I have not. You should download it. I, I think today's the last day that it's free to download, but um, it's cool. 
Anyway. Chris, if you want to get some momentum in super hot VR, <clears throat> look up some of, I don't know what they're really called. I would call them stunting videos. And that's what got <laughs> me hooked on that game. Cause like the momentum comes from throwing your gun from one scenario to the next and then catching it behind your back and shooting the person behind you before you see them. People have done incredible stuff with super hot in VR. So watching it on a 2d screen isn't quite the same as being there, but if you've played the game and then you see some of these moves that people are pulling off, it's crazy. I'll be honest, you had me at stunting video. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Your GoPro on your motorcycle going up the 405. I get it. So I want to get to uh, tabletop time. I do need to thank our second sponsor, which is Fireside. If you were a podcaster or had dreams of being a podcaster or just want to do it as a hobby, whatever your commitment level, whatever your need, Fireside is a podcast hosting and analytics platform that was built for you. It was made by podcasters for podcasters. In fact, the founder of our network, the 5x5 network, Dan Benjamin, he created Fireside. And what he did was he took all the knowledge he's gained from podcasting since 2009. And he he said, this is the, the, the kind of system I would want for myself. Fireside has everything you would need. Unlimited uploads, unlimited downloads, massive amounts of real-time data and analytics about your unique downloads, a super fast CDN for the best download speeds, Multiple podcast support, so if you're doing one show or you're doing a whole channel full of shows, Fireside's got your back. Free one-click podcast importing, so if you're already using Libsyn or FeedPress or Simplecast or SoundCloud, one-click converts everything to Fireside. It's awesome. Custom domain mapping. Uh, it's got a beautiful, responsive website with your own artwork, host, and guest pages, and tons of advanced features like sponsorship integration, chapter markers, a bookmarklet for links, auto-posting of future episodes, time code linking, so much more. Plus, you can fi- try Fireside for free for seven days, and uh, during that time, you can import your existing podcast for free while taking advantage of every free feature that Fireside has to offer. The unlimited plan is only 19 bucks a month, and there's no commitment or long-term agreement to worry about. Visit fireside.fm slash DLC today. Take a tour. Find out if it's right for you. And then you can use promo code DLC at checkout. You'll get 20% off the standard plan for three months. Fireside. It's fireside.fm slash DLC by podcasters for podcasters. Right now. Chris, when we were talking about you being on the show, uh, you mentioned you had some serious issues, some serious table time dilemmas that you needed to, to talk through. I mean, so here's the thing. You like you, you sent me this very kind email trying to make me feel comfortable with the show. And you're like, oh, we got this tabletop time. And I kind of like my apps and my video games. I don't make a lot of time for tabletop. I, I had... Some very great D and D experiences. I have a, a drawing of my my best D and D character who died by falling off of a dragon from five thousand oh, feet. That's the worst. He was a champion. He kind of looked like Jack Black with with soft blue hair. He wore a dead bear's face for a hat. I'm getting wow. nostalgic just thinking about it. But I don't have time for it. Um, so I've been playing a little bit of Pandemic Legacy with my buddy um, Griffin McElroy, who I used to work with at Polygon.com. Um, but that also is like uh, sometimes a lot of work. He just had a kid um, with his wife, Rachel. So that makes it kind of difficult to, you know, set it up and then like, oh, maybe, maybe this, there's some fussiness. We're going to have to like stop halfway through. Yeah. So we started playing Euchre. Do you ever play this game? 
it's a card game, right? A traditional deck of cards card game, right? You yeah. Could? Yeah. And you, yeah, and you don't use uh, you don't use all the cards. There are variations on how you can play it, um, and it's very popular uh, where my family is from in Ohio, and also I believe in Kentucky, Tennessee, Rust Belt area. I'm sure it's played everywhere. Beloved game, uh, but what I love about it is I, I I'm not even going to try to explain the rules. I'm sorry. I do trust that everybody can Google it or watch a YouTube video <laughs> right. because. While being essentially the most mindless game in the world, explaining it is excruciating and doesn't make sense. Um, so it's just easy to like watch somebody play a hand. But the, the very reductive way of talking about it is it, it's a little more strategic than war. Um, which is to say you can essentially play it and drink and talk and watch the latest episode of The Bachelor and like feel like you're doing all of them very well. Um, and, and I love that because I I feel like I've been looking for a game like this that is game as social lubricant, and I feel like everybody has that um, in the form of games like Destiny, right? Like, so many of my buddies play Destiny as really just an excuse to hop on the phone with their right. friends. And yeah. they're they're doing the same loops over and over and over again. They're not even thinking while they're playing it. It's just hangout time. Right. And there used to be a lot of those um, with, like, local multiplayer games, uh, which have since been eradicated like a virus, um, (laughs) because apparently they were just too good. Um, So having this game that really anybody can play after just, you know, learning through one hand that doesn't really interfere with anything, but just gives you an excuse to essentially do something with your hands while you chat... is so fantastic and it's something i love about games that i think gets buried in all of the complexities of board games and and don't get me wrong i love i love board games i love german board games i love like diving into a rule book for hours um but sometimes i i really just want a board game or a game game because it's an excuse to hang out with people i like yeah you know you never invite people over to let's all just like sit around the couch and talk you know, that's, yeah. but, you know, we could all just sit around the couch and play a, a game. And well, then you we'll, do. you just call that eating. Uh, I guess that is eating. I guess yeah. that's what eating is. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, I will tell you, you know, the game that I'm going to talk about, uh, any game that I play with my board game group, honestly, takes three times as long as the box says it's going to take <laughs> because it is punctuated by long periods of not playing and just talking. Cause we'll, be playing, be playing, be playing, and then somebody will bring up something, and now we're arguing about Star Wars for, you know, 20 minutes, and or talking about the thing that somebody, you know, the job that somebody just got over here, or whatever it is, and, and they say, like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's get back, we gotta get back, we gotta, we got monsters to kill, you know, so, I, yeah, I totally agree with you that that is so much of the joy of tabletop for me, is, is that presence, is sitting around a table with the people that I care about, that, that are all, we're all doing something, but we're also all, you know, interacting and being social. So I totally get it. And I think, yeah, there is, there is a place for those mindless games. I mean, there's a whole long tradition of, of games that they're just very poorly designed as games, but that's okay because, you know, people can play them and not really pay attention. Um, so that's great. I, I should probably also like, be be careful here and say like euchre has vast complexity 
um, unknown, untapped strategic dev and people who are very good at it. I, I completely respect your passion. Oh, I don't want to get like, Euchre emails. Oh, yeah, man. There's one thing I've learned. Every game has that strategy fanatic. And I'm like literally looking through the Twitch chat like, is, is he here? <laughs> well, if this is a, a game big in the midwest we can talk bad about it all we want and we'll only get the most polite email in return. <laughs> i disagree with you and i would like to know where to send a pie <laughs> uh, i want to talk about doom uh the new doom board game uh, was sent to me actually uh and this is uh, pretty awesome actually it's it's a major new release uh, based on the new version of doom so christian don't tune out because I know how much you love <laughs> Doom, uh, the reboot of Doom last year. This is There was actually an older Doom board game that came out a few years ago, but this is a new design that uh, is built around the, the new rules, the new sort of mechanics from that Doom reboot. This is um, uh, Jonathan Ying is the designer on, on this Doom. Um, it's a Fantasy Flight Games release, so Fantasy Flight Games notoriously – high quality. This is high quality. This is a great components. It's got really cool miniatures, little plastic figurines for awesome demons and, uh, and then for, uh, Marines. And the way this game works is very much the in vogue thing. Now it's this one versus many mechanic. You've heard me talk about the others as, as a game like that a few weeks ago. Um, it's very much, a lot of games are coming out as this one versus many. Think of it like Evolve, the video game where multiple players can play the Marines and then one player plays all the bad guys. So in Doom, you'll have, you have a scenario book and you can play a bunch of different scenarios and there's a modular board that clips together. And so you create different maps from these component tiles that come in the box. So each map in each scenario is slightly different, a different layout. So the game has a lot of replayability that way. And then there's different power-ups that are littered all around the map, including new guns and, and health packs. And there's also spawn points for demons. And when players open a door or go into a new area, the guy who's or the girl who's playing the demon uh, side gets to spawn uh, a bunch of demons. And it's really kind of fun. There's, there's these cards that correspond to the scenarios and the card has this like either or decision uh, graph that says uh, for different color spawn points, you get to decide, are you going to spawn these demons or those demons? And you only get to do that, make that decision once. And those are the demons. So, it kind of gives you a fun, like, oh, what cool demon would I want to have now? Like, okay, we're halfway through this scenario. My, you know, the players have been doing good against this demon. I want to switch it up and, and do these other demons. So it's it's kind of cool. And each of the demons has different abilities, um, and you control them all in in groups. And the way the game handles turns is is pretty fun too. A lot of these one versus many games. The play, a player takes a turn and then the bad guy player takes a turn and then the next player takes a turn and then the bad guy player takes a turn. This game has a deck of initiative cards that you shuffle and so you flip over a card to find out whose turn it will be, which is kind of fun because you don't know, you know, who's going to go at any given time. So it changes up the strategy for both the demon player and the Marines players because they can't just kind of create a, a specific strategy. They have to figure out who's going to go based on the surprise. And, you know, if you're into D&D, &D, but really all you like is the combat, 
this is the kind of game for you, right? This is just pure combat, which is thematically consistent because Doom is, you know, a first-person shooter that's just all about wall-to-wall combat. All you're doing in this game is mowing down as many demons as you can, or if you're the demon player, trying to frag the Marines a certain number of times. You win by fragging them a certain number of times. If they get fragged, they immediately respawn at uh, at a spawn point and can keep playing, which is fun because it doesn't mean you're eliminated from the game if you get fragged. It just means that you're closer to losing for your team because at a certain number of frags, the demon player wins. And it retains some of those cool new... uh, rules from from this new doom like for example each demon has a certain number of damage that it can take and then it goes into i can't remember if it's called stunned or or i don't know crisis mode or whatever and and then if you run up to it you get to do a glory kill just like the video game so you know it basically what can happen is you can shoot something a couple of times it can get down to a certain number of health and then you can use your movement action to just run and occupy the same space and then it's an instant kill so just like the video game from last year it is incentivizing moving forward being aggressive you know getting all up on those demons and i think it's a really cool way to bring forward that thing that made the video game cool into the board game space and it works really really well um the combat is all handled through dice rolls but there's a fun mechanic where uh you roll dice the enemy rolls dice and then you flip the enemy the person who's being attacked flips over a card from their deck without being able to look at it and all the cards are actions so you have cards based on whatever weapon set you have. And then if you pick up a new weapon that's laying, you know, it's a power up waiting on the map, you get new cards brought into your deck. So it's kind of deck building in that way. But, and those give you certain actions that you can, you can play on your turn. But also each card has like a defense value in the upper right. So when you flip over a card blindly, you just look at that defense value and you find out if you get to mitigate some of the damage being thrown at you. So there's a kind of a fun game of chance there. It's like, oh my God, I just got, blasted by the demon i'm gonna flip over my card oh cool i defended it really fun really plays really fast unless you know you have 20 minute breaks to talk about star wars or whatever uh (laughs) and uh and it's it's really fun it's just pure action all combat all the time you know sometimes these games can feel a little lonely when you're the demon player because all the all your friends are teamed up against you but I found this I played the demon character when we played uh just recently and uh I had a, a lot of fun it's it's a really cool version of Doom it's a fast quick uh just pure combat pure action lo- roll lots of dice make lots of chaos and move on to the next thing so it it doesn't take too long to play it takes a long time to set up which is a bit of a bummer because all these modular games where you have to fit together game board pieces and you know and then place all the power ups that can be a little tedious but playing the game itself is pretty fast and fun i'm shocked how fun that sounds cuz i i don't like combat in my D&D at all oh like, yeah i'm all about it for the storytelling right. and the second the combat happens the game slows down and i just get totally bored um but this sounds appealing in a way that i did not think it would I can totally understand that. I, I've I've felt that sometimes too. Or you know, especially if you're playing with a group of people that are thinking about what skills they're going to use, that it really just grinds to a halt during combat. But um, this kind of like you know, this works fast, and you're rolling dice, and rolling dice is just inherently fun. That's true. 
Uh, quick email I wanted to do in this segment as well. This comes from Steve from New Zealand. He says, hey guys, I have seven-year-old twin boys who are very competitive and we found that some nights a board game with winners and losers can quickly devolve into attempts at brutal physical murder. (laughs) (laughs) While we work on that issue, we're having heaps of fun with cooperative games. It started with Forbidden Island, which is a great starter board game at this age, and we've also really enjoyed the co-op challenges for Star Realms. I wanted to give a shout out for a little gem we found called Burgle Bros., a cooperative heist game where each player is a thief with different abilities. You need to work as a team to break into a building, avoid the guards and traps, crack the safe, and escape with the loot. The art and quality of the pieces is great, and the mechanics are just rock solid. I would highly recommend it to your listeners. I also agree. I love Burger Bros. I have it in my in my um, collection. In fact, uh, I was just at PAX South, and uh, Tim Flowers is the designer of Burger Bros. He has a new game uh, that I picked up at PAX South, so I will be um, talking about that in a future segment when I get it on the table. But he also uh, made Paperback, which is an awesome game. Uh, big fan of Tim Flowers. He's, in fact, I talked to him at PAX South about maybe um, coming on for some bonus content, talk about his his design, uh, designing games. So, yeah. Big thumbs up for Burgle Bros. Anyway, he goes on and says, uh, all three of those games allow for some light storytelling slash role-playing, which the boys find hilarious. I wondered if you guys had any other recommendations for cooperative tabletop games. Keep up the good work, and Happy New Year. Um, It's from Steve from New Zealand. So I have a few uh, recommendations, but I know, Chris, you have been playing Pandemic Legacy. Yeah, I mean, uh, violent, uh, horrifying, but yes, <laughs> a very good cooperative game. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's familiar to anyone who has played Pandemic. Uh, you have a giant world map. Uh, you are trying to quarantine different uh, strains of viruses in different areas. But uh, like the Legacy series of games, each time you play, it's different and any mistakes or in some ways successes that you have in each round uh, impacts the layout of the board, essentially. Yeah. When you do really well, you're awarded powers and boosts. Um, when you do poorly, uh, cities can crumble and essentially become uh, unusable. Uh, I, I, don't, I won't spoil too much of it. It is the, the, very much the board game that can be spoiled. Definitely. So I would encourage people not to read about it because it goes some very strange places. Um, and the game that you're playing six months in versus, uh, the first two or three times you play, they're just totally different. The thing that I love about it though, uh, that I was worried about is when I thought of legacy games, I imagined just rule after rule being added and it being like, oh, well, sure, this is an interesting way to train me to play a very complex game. And it's, for the most part, not that. Basically, when things get added, things get taken away. Um, right. So you don't feel totally bogged down, like you're just sifting through the rulebook to make sure that you understand what's going on by month seven. And I, and I think that's kind of how it has to be. Because, again, if you're at month 10 or 11... You're just going to forget stuff. Like, your brain just isn't that good of a sponge. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would strongly recommend that, minus the fact that you are, like, discussion, making decisions about, like, which uh, nations you're going to let die from which uh, <laughs> yeah. skin-eating virus. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It depends on, I guess, on your seven-year-olds. But uh, yeah. I agree. A pandemic, just the base game pandemic, is a great next step from Forbidden Island or Forbidden Desert. But... 
if you love, and he mentioned specifically that sort of storytelling role-playing element, Pandemic Legacy is amazing for that. Um, a few other games that I'd add to that list, uh, Mice and Mystics is phenomenal. I actually gifted that to my nephews for Christmas this year um, from Plaid Hat Games. It's um, a storytelling cooperative adventure that has, uh, I mean, it literally has, each quest is a new chapter in the in this grand story. Really fun uh, dice rolling adventure, you know, using cool um, powers from your characters and, and fighting monsters and stuff. Uh, Flashpoint Fire Rescue is a cooperative game that I I like quite a bit. Uh, it's less role playing, but it's a fun cooperative. You're you know putting out fires, your fire team putting out you know saving people from a burning building. It's pretty good. Shadows over Camelot is another great one of the sort of proto uh, cooperative games. Um, obviously medieval kind of uh, Knights of the Round Table. You know fight monsters, do it cooperative, cooperatively, save the castle. Really cool game. And then, you know, if you kind of want to venture into the one versus many stuff that I'm talking about with, with games like Doom, um, you know, I, it, I think that could be a fun, like the two boys fight against dad. And, you know, Doom might not be thematically appropriate, but I've heard very, very good things about the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game, um, Shadows Through Time, I think it's called. Uh, just came out recently. I've heard I haven't played it, but I've heard it's really, really cool. And if your kids are into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, highly recommend checking that out because uh, it's getting really awesome reviews, fun, um, you know, Ninja Turtle miniatures, and their their health is is designated by slices of pizza. I mean, good stuff, fun, quality stuff. Thanks for the email, Steve. If you guys want to email the show for any reason, whether it's Tabletop Time or any other segment, you can always send us emails at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We love getting those. But that's going to do it for this episode. We still have our parting gift coming up, so stick around for that. But uh, I want to thank Chris Plant for being here, man. What a, what a delight having you on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Where can people keep up with your work on the internet? Oh, man. Uh, you can go to theverge.com. It's a website. Um, you can go to twitter.com forward slash plant with the E at the end. It's a French Canadian name. Um, I think that's it. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm not going to give my Facebook profile. So I, yeah, I think those are probably the best options. Sounds good. Awesome. Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Well, I released a new stand up album. Wait, it's called- what? Why didn't you mention that before now? Uh, uh, you know, apparently when you're proud of your work, you get made fun of for talking about it on this show. <laughs> Good to know. I'll let our future guests know that that's the role that Jeff Kanata <laughs> plays. Um, uh, it's called We're All Gonna Die. It's available on iTunes, Amazon, and the Google Music Store, and it would mean a lot to me if you checked it out. Left a good review, told your friends. It is a uh, self-produced, self-made, self-released. It's a little indie, a little a little album that can, and I think I think people will like it. It's different than my first, but still very much my voice. Some very silly stuff, and then some stuff that's me just like uh, sleeping is hard, you guys. Uh, <laughs> things that keep me up at night. Um, but it's called "We're All Gonna Die." It's my new stand-up album, and um, check it out. Check it. Out. Consider all the years. It's been two years of free shows since the last album. So I think you owe me nine bucks. <laughs> I am very excited to listen to this album. I, I mean, I heard a little bit of, of the material live, uh, you know, once or twice and 
man, I'm so excited to hear it on the album. So yeah. Yeah. Thanks, dude. It is not clean. I should say again, it is not, it is not clean. So please, you know, don't listen to it with the seven year old twins. Right. Yeah. Not for them. Jeff, what about you? What do you have concerns about this week? Oh, actually our concerns this week are all, uh, PAX South live episodes. Uh, nice. the, the show that I do with uh, Anthony Carboni, we recorded live at PAX South in front of a live audience. We had, uh, the chainsaw suit fellas join us, uh, Mikey Newman and Chris Straub, uh, really fun shows. Um, so check those out. The first one hit this morning. You can find those at wehaveconcerns.com. And I'm um, doing the uh, Slash Film cast with the folks over at SlashFilm.com um, talking about movies and, and TV shows. Uh, we're reviewing Rings this week. So check that out at SlashFilmCast.com. All right. Let's get to our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion. Chris, do you have a recommendation for people to get through their week? Yeah, I always recommend the same thing whenever people ask me. Uh, the books of Sawako Ariyoshi. Uh, she wrote uh, a number of things, but the two that I would recommend are Twilight Years and The Doctor's Wife. They're both very, very short, uh, but they're both exceptional, beautiful uh, books that most people never come in contact with. And I had the good fortune of uh, being introduced to them when I was very young. And I, I strongly hope that you find them on Amazon. Uh, they, I think the Twilight Years got printed as like kind of one of those hardbacks that was used at schools probably in the 80s. Hmm. So there are, you can find some copies of it, but it's definitely not, neither of the books are things that you're going to find at a bookstore. So it is the uh, rare occasion that I would say, go online and dig them up. Wow, I w- I'm intrigued. Again, that's uh, Sawako Ariyoshi. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. S-A-W-A-K-O. Uh, A-R-I-Yoshi. Okay. And it's Twilight Years and The Doctor's Wife. Yes. Awesome. Christian, how about you? Got a parting gift? Yeah, if you are on your online music provider or digital CD provider of choice or streaming, there's a, I love them, and I've loved them for a while, and this album is not brand new, but it's very new. Uh, the early November, they have an album out called 15 Years, and it's um, various songs off of their prior albums re-recorded and looked at in a new light, and it is just beautiful. I feel bad that I hadn't mentioned it when it came out. I believe it was January when it came out, um, but it's something I listen to often at night, um, and it's so good. It's so good. It's early November. The album is called 15 Years. They did a limited-run vinyl, but I'm pretty sure that is all gone, so find it some other way. And while you're on iTunes, you can buy Christian's stand-up album. It's $9. That's nothing. It's nothing. It's a hell of a lot cheaper than 10 Yeah, ask GameStop what they charge you for it used. It's so much over there. $930. <laughs> They're out of new copies. Uh, we have a, uh, a parting gift sent to us from a listener uh, to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can always send us parting gifts. This comes from Jared Wilkin from Fairfax, Virginia. He says, I would like to recommend the comic book Saga by Brian K. Vaughn. And art by Fiona Staples, the best way for me to describe Saga is to say it is Romeo and Juliet set in the Star Wars universe as written by George R.R. R. Martin. 
Really, I want to highlight the latest issue, number 42, which is so tragic and beautiful, I cannot stop thinking about it. I'd also recommend picking up that single issue, not waiting for the trade paperback, because the last pages of the issue are different than any other issue before it, which could get lost in the trade paperback. That's all I can really say without spoiling it. Keep up the good work, Jared. Uh, Thanks for that recommendation, Jared. I know, I think you're a big fan of Saga. I certainly am, Christian. Yeah, it's incredible. I'm not current. I am a trade paperback person, but um, it's it's incredible. Yeah, great recommendation. Uh, an amazing, again, very not for kids, <laughs> very not for kids, but really awesome book. Um, I had a chance to see Lego Batman early, so my parting gift is do not wait, rush out and see Lego Batman, um, one of the best Batman movies ever made. It is delightful. I was laughing my butt off. It is smart. It actually is about something. I mean, I love the Lego universe. And to f- the fact, you know, I, I, the Lego movie was my number one movie of the year when it came out. The fact that they could follow that up with this and retain what made that movie so amazing. It, this is, it's really great. Uh, just so smart, so funny and great Batman action. Really interesting look at the lore of Batman. Like, they found a way to mine the Batman mythos in a way nobody has really ever done before, which is a feat for a character that's been around that long. Great. Don't, don't wait. Don't let it, don't let yourself think it's just a kid's movie. Lego Batman is really smart and fun for adults too. All right. That's it for this episode of DLC. Thanks to Chris Plant and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in the uh, chat room for hanging out with us as well. You guys make the show better in real time. We appreciate you spending the time with us. Uh, Thanks to all of you that have downloaded the show and rated us on your platform of choice. We appreciate that too. It really helps tell your friends about the show. We will be back next week with a new episode. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.